She'll lead us from her coffin when we sing it at chapel. Fortunately, Mrs Lynch did not hear him, being too busy trying to drown out the rest of us. In about an hour we had the thing right, and Mrs Lynch gave us a cheerful good evening and went back to bed. Two days later she died, but we had no more rehearsals, and in fact, at what there was of her funeral, we sang Onward Christian Soldiers. It was a mistake, perhaps, but not altogether inappropriate. As soon as Mrs Lynch was definitely dead, the squire sent Joby Thatcher, his gardener, to town with the subscription money in cash and a note. Please send with bearer Coleshanger subscription coffin immediately and oblige. Perhaps the fact that he had forgotten to sign it added something to the intricacy of the Gordian knot into which events later tied themselves, though he himself helped to cut it, and for that he earned our gratitude. But the wording was unfortunate. He was, as I have said, a very learned man, and in consequence his writing was almost illegible. The word bearer just tailed off, and the undertaker read it as bearers. He thought that the funeral must be immediately, and although no biographical note on Mrs Lynch, not even her name, had been inscribed on the coffin, he dragged two men out of his workshop and stable, made them dress suitably, and sent them off with Joby to Colshanger. Now, the bearers had no idea who the coffin was for, and Joby was either secretive or not interested, or standing on his dignity, or already a little drunk. However, he had subscribed to the coffin, and when one of them said, I say, whose coffin is this? He turned to them and said, with that stony and unconcerned imbecility which often passes for pride, why, it's my coffin. This was a bit of a shock for them, and at the next pub they stopped for something to put them right. Joby joined them so that they should not think him in any way standoffish. Their progress to Coleshanger was somewhat liberally punctuated with similar visits, and as they drew nearer to the end of their journey, they began to make their visits longer. Joby, who at home was somewhat kept under by his wife, said on the last call, Come on, gentlemen, this'll be my last chance. He had four pints, a double whiskey and a glass of rum. Then he passed out. The undertaker's men, who were understandably by this time a little confused, though still determined to do their duty, picked him up as well as they could, and because he was no longer able to sit, they did the only thing possible. They popped him into the coffin. Know who he was? They asked the landlord, using their handkerchief sympathetically. Why, that'd be Joby Thatcher of Coleshanger. God rest his soul, breathed the undertaker's men, forgetting their Protestant principles. Is what? The landlord demanded. Is soul, they answered. I said it was Joby Thatcher of Coleshanger, the landlord said, spat and went into his house and shut the door. They drove on slowly with a drunken dignity which was more calculated to appeal to Coleshanger than was any amount of stately sobriety. Once in the village, they asked for Widow Thatcher. Well, there ain't no Widow Thatcher, we told them. Oh, that's a blessing, they answered. Well, where did the late Joby Thatcher live? The, the late... There was a sharp intake of surprised breath. But Joby ain't dead. He is, as dead as a doornail they said, and he made a beautiful end. We asked how he had died. Ordered his coffin and then drank himself into it, they said. There was a loud cry of admiration, 
This was indeed a beautiful end, and one which would reflect much credit on the village for many years. The quiet deliberateness of it appealed to us as well. That a man we knew, at whom we had shied clots of mud from behind corners, should so rapidly have drunk himself into the grave was something, but that this same man should have made his preparations beforehand, and then put them so perfectly into effect as to be driven home in his own coffin and hearse, was a feat which we had never equalled in even our most offensive boasting. We lifted our hats reverently, and forming a double line, walked slowly before the hearse to his home. His wife, who was just laying the tea, was more than a little upset. For one thing, she could not think where Joby had got the money to pay for a coffin like that, and she asked, though perhaps a little rhetorically, who was going to buy hers when the time came. 